0: Thanks for everybody that came out to the baptism. It was so cool to see everybody get baptized. Um, It was amazing. We had some really cool stories from kids all the way up to a bunch of adults. We had uh, teenagers baptizing their parents. That was a really special moment. Uh, We had a a gal that was from Singapore, and and her baptism was being live-streamed back to Singapore, and people were joining us, and and so that was really cool as well. And um, just... uh, you know, those moments are what remind us of why we do this, as people move towards Jesus and take steps of faith and obedience in him. And so, um, good job, everybody that got baptized. Hey, uh, we are in a series. We are in the book of Ephesians. To get us there today, I want to read this passage and set it up, because we're going to really come back and break it down verse by verse. And this, I'm going to give you a warning up front. This passage is a little bit dense, and um, um, my goal is, is to get you to actually engage with this and think about this and allow the weight of it to impact you here today. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from 11 through the end of the chapter. And um, if you don't have a Bible or an app uh, and you want to follow along on the screen, it's up there as well. Here we go. It says this, Ephesians 2.11, Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Let's just pray before we dive in to, to really unpacking this here today. Lord, we invite you, your presence, Holy Spirit, come move in our midst, Lord, um, just Bring the weight of this alive to us today. Help us um, understand the wonder and the awe of what um, Paul, through your Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate. And um, pray that there would be some specific lives here that are rerouted, that are changed, that are impacted, that you speak to someone very specifically, that you draw those maybe who have not connected with you in faith yet to faith in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, something I think all of us can identify with is the feeling of what it feels like to be excluded from something. Maybe that was in your teenager, you know, childhood years. Anybody have some memories where you you were left out, you were excluded from the cool kids' table or something, and there's still a little bit of ouch there? Like, two of you, come on. It's 9 o'clock, you're all the put-together people. Saturday, they're like, me! Apparently, we need more counselors. Let's try that again. Anybody got something? You're like, oh yeah, that still is kind of like an ouch. I've got some of those moments, right? It was funny. I was watching uh, this show the other day with my wife and uh, kind of the classic plot line, that we've seen so many times, and there's a reason why it's a classic plot line is because it's so true. And it's this girl, she's kind of the nerdy girl, and she goes to the first day of high school, and then you got the table um, with the cool girls, and they're sort of like looking over at her, kind of, you know, condescendingly. And so she goes and sits down by herself, right? And and meanwhile, you can tell them talking and uh, looking over at her. Kids can be mean sometimes, right? And then we grow up and we just get a little more crafty in the ways we're mean, don't we? Yeah, you know, uh, it's the truth. But I think we can all identify with this feeling of being left out, on being on the outside, of being excluded. And I think it's especially um, re- relevant in our modern society where we have on our phones access to social media and literally like 24 seven seeing all the ways we've been excluded. And some of you know that feeling because you're always scrolling. You're like, oh, why didn't I get invited to that? Why, why wasn't I part of that? In fact, in the younger generation that's been like raised on smartphones, what they found is, is um, like screen time. And we're not going to talk about this a lot, but screen time, like those with hours a day have a 35% higher um, suicide risk factor. They have some risk factor, and it's because oftentimes what they've studied is they found out there's this thing where with teenagers especially, the brain is so attuned to that social rejection that that online communication or texting, if anybody, have you ever, you send a text and then like you wait three hours and you're like, they hate me! And then they text back a day later, like, oh, sorry, my phone was broken. You're like, okay, they don't hate me. I guess I'm like a teenager and I'm 45. Um, so you know the feeling, right? And, and there's that thing, the cadence of communication and different things that, that lead to anxiety and social interactions, this whole thing, I think this, this tendency within us to be acutely aware of, of when we're on the outside, acutely aware of when we're being left out, it produces a lot of anxiety-driven behaviors. And I bet for lots of you who um, are on social media, you'll notice this thing. That in fact, there's a technical term for it. It's called um, nomophobia. You know it as FOMO, the fear of missing out. But there's something that drives you to They call it doom scrolling, right? Like you're just like, why is that? Why is it that you're constantly on there? Well, there's this thing that is constantly wondering, what am I missing? What am I on the outside of? I think there's this thing deep within us. And I think that's true whether you're young or whether you're old. And I think one of our deepest desires is to belong. One of our deepest desires is to be on the inside. I think we do all kinds of things to try to get to that place in life where we feel like we belong. And if we don't feel like we belong, we don't experience peace in our hearts and in our lives. Now, where did that drive come from? Well, I think it came from a little phrase that um, Solomon mentions in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, that we have eternity in our hearts. I think there's a time, there's a memory, there's a basic understanding in the human soul, a memory from the time when we had unbroken relationship with our creator. When humanity as designed to walk in unbroken relationship before the fall. And and, and what we're going to see here in the text today is Paul's going to say, hey, you've been invited to experience that belonging here and now. You, you've been excited, invited to taste of the reality of eternity here and now, but it can only be entered into by trusting in what God says is actually true and then by resting in that. And so going back to verse 11, we're going to unpack some of this because there's, there's a lot here, and I'm going to have to ask you to strap on your thinking brains today. I know it's summertime, and everybody's like, we're going to do a seminary course today, Okay. We're going to do our best, and so you need to uh, think hard, stick with me, and uh, I'll do my best to hopefully make it a little clearer than mud. We'll see. All right, here we go. Ephesians 2, 11. Paul says, therefore. Now, I'm going to teach you something. Anytime you're reading through the Bible and you see a therefore, um, what do you need to ask? What is it? Okay, let's try that one, one more time because there you go. What's it there for? So, everybody, let's repeat this. When you see a therefore, you ask, what's it? Very good. Okay. So what he tells us, what it is there for, he goes back. If you remember from what we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, it's one of the most famous um, presentations of the gospel in all of scripture. And he says this, remember, therefore, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were separated spiritually from God, and he made you alive. He brought you to life, actually. He rescued you. He seated you in the heavenly realms, even though you're sitting in your chairs right now. The deeper, truer reality is that you are in Christ, with him, in him. And you are going to be shown the incomparable riches of grace for all eternity. You've been saved. You've been given a purpose In life. In fact, two of the most famous verses in scripture we saw last year, a real great summation of the gospel for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to impact life here and now. For we are God's handiwork, literally his poem. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's the therefore. And so what he's going to say next is because of this overwhelming, like amazing thing that he's just shared. You have been saved, rescued, brought to life, given purpose, hope, and meaning in this life and eternity beyond anything you can, comp- you can imagine. And I think that deserves an amen. All right, thanks. We're not a big, like, you know, amen. But everyone, if you got it, you just, you just, well, I better not be too invited. We're going to have, like, all kinds of amens. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> so he says, therefore, that's what it was there for. And then he says, remember. I think this is key, too. We're going to see this a couple times. Remember, remember, he's going to say. And there's things we're called to forget, actually, in Scripture. Like, forget the past, move forward towards the future. Leave things behind. But, Paul, when it comes to what God has done for you and your condition before he did that, he says, I want you to remember that. Because if you don't, you won't live out of that. See, life in Christ is meant to be a grateful response for what he's done for you and for us. So he says, remember, remember, you that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. So he's going to say, okay, I want you to remember there was something formerly true about you. And he makes this little wordplay in the body or in the flesh, sarks. it calls back to the flesh where he talked about it earlier in the chapter that you were in the flesh. And so he uses this um, very common saying, in fact, it was almost a slur, that someone who was from a uh, Jewish, uh, Israeli descent in this time in history would um, look at those and say there was this little covenant um, with Abraham that God gave as a symbol of a covenant. And uh, that was a little surgery, and it was called circumcision. And if you're not aware of what that is, go ask your mom later. It'll be a great awkward conversation. But he says there was, a, there was something done in the flesh that was a physical sign of a relationship of a covenant with God. And it was done in the body. Now we find out as we read through that Paul says this physical sign um, doesn't matter spiritually anymore. In fact, in, in Galatians 5, here's what he's going to say. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. There's a new reality. There's a new covenant in place. It's a new day, Paul says. That spiritually, when it comes to your relationship with God, there's a new reality that's true. And so he says, you were formerly called Gentiles. That's interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. In fact, it's interesting in Thessalonians, he addresses these Gentiles... Um, and he says, don't live like the Gentiles. <laughs> like, don't, you're not them, don't live like them. This is really interesting. Uh, we'll talk about that. He goes on in verse 12. He says, remember, again, remember, that at that time you were separate from Christ. Listen to these words, separate. These are words all of us fear. These are words that bring back memories, probably. Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You were separate, separate from Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah. And the hope of Messiah prophesied for hundreds of years. The hope that that the people of Israel um, clung to in spite of persecution, in spite of exile, was Messiah would come. And he says, "That, that wasn't for you, that was for them. You were separate from that. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were outsiders. You were the other nations. And we'll talk about this again in a minute. And you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. What what do you mean without hope, without God in the world? Of course, I mean, God's everywhere. Of course, Paul says, no, there was a reality here. And to understand this, you have to understand the way that the plan of God working redemption in the world unfolded throughout the course of history, and you have to understand a deep concept. I told you we're going to get a little deep uh, today on the uh, a little technical, and that's a term called cosmic geography. And here's what this means, um, that, that for thousands of years before Jesus came, for, for 1,500, 2,000 years before Jesus came, um, all the way from ancient, like Babylon and Sumeria, they had an, a, a basic fundamental understanding of the way that, that life worked when it came to spiritual powers. Now, in Genesis 3, what, what Genesis does as it comes along is actually Genesis is a polemic or an argument against the way that the Babylonians thought about it, the way that the Sumerians thought about it. He says, no, they've been deceived, actually, by these spiritual powers. And so all the way back in Genesis 3, at the fall, you see, as part of the curse, you see the first prophecy of God's redemptive purposes for humankind. When man and, and uh, God are separated, there's a little prophecy, and it. It, he says to the serpent, um, who represents a spiritual being, obviously we know this um, from, from uh, Scripture, that tempted Eve in the garden. And he says that the seed of the woman, humankind, will crush his head. That there's coming a day when someone will come to slay the dragon, to slay the serpent, to defeat the powers of darkness. And so um, really uh, from history on out, you you see the serpent, the powers of darkness beginning to war against humanity. Until the flood. And then after the flood, you have this moment where humanity is, again, told to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. And instead, they come together and they, they build what? The Tower of Babel. You've heard that. And the Tower of Babel isn't just like they're not building the Empire State Building. They're not building, you know, the Eiffel Tower or something to, to be sort of a symbol of of uh, just like how, how cool we are. It is literally a temple of worship, a ziggurat. They would have understood this in ancient times that sometimes we miss it today. Where they would commune with spiritual powers that weren't God. They would commune with fallen angels. With, with spiritual beings that weren't God. That was the part behind this. And God comes down and he does what? He separates the languages and disperses the nation. That's the story at the very beginning. But then literally the very next page in, in the Genesis account, after the table of nations that were dispersed, you have what? Abraham. God launches the next step in his plan of redemption that he prophesied all the way back in, in the garden. And that is through Abraham now. He says, through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Through your seed, through your seed, all nations on earth. So he narrows it down to this one family. In fact, there's a really interesting scripture in in Deuteronomy where God says, when when the Most High divided the nations, he apportioned them. um, And basically the... the, uh, The heart behind the idea is basically the nations. He said, you go, go your own ways. And they ended up going and serving false gods. Paul tells us behind the idols, the false gods, there's actually demons or spiritual powers. They went and they served gods that weren't gods. And they worshiped them. And these false gods, these demonic powers behind the idols made them do awful things. Like sacrifice their own children. Um, like turn away, all these wicked practices. They received worship for themselves. And, but then the interesting thing in Deuteronomy 32 is God says, but my portion is Israel. This is my portion. This is my inheritance. This is the plan of redemption. It's flowing through Israel. It's flowing through this one nation. And then as you trace this along, um, what you see is um, the powers of darkness begin to try to take out the nation of Israel. Remember in, what, what happens in Egypt? In, in Egypt, uh, they start, Pharaoh starts killing the babies, right? And God redeems them. He rescues them. He brings them into the promised land. And then later on, um, there's all these um, things in, in Joshua and Judges but God brings them through and sustains them. And then you get to David, and then there's another covenant. So there's the Abrahamic covenant. Through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to be faithful. Um, And so uh, now you come to David. And the Davidic covenant, he says, now through you, the redemptive purposes and plans of God now flow through the line of David. And you know, at one point, um, what you see in the bigger meta story, behind the story, in the human side, in the spiritual side, you see the, the, the powers of darkness trying to take out now the line of David. And you know, at one point, it gets down to one prince. And this heroic woman, I think her name was uh, Je- Jehoshua. Um, anyway, um, that may not be right. Been a while since I read that. Uh, so anyway, she rescues this little baby, and he goes on, and the, and the line of David is preserved. That's why the genealogies it's so important um, in Matthew and in Luke. They all have these genealogies. Why are those so important? Because it's showing how God was faithful to, to what he promised to bring redemption. And so those are the covenants. And then the, the prophets come along and they begin prophesying a time when there'll be a new covenant and it'll be different from the other covenant because in, uh, we missed the covenant of Sinai. We skipped over that one. But at Sinai, there was the covenant of the law that was given to the people of Israel. God's agreement with this nation of how you're going to be my light in the world, how we're going to preserve this nation. We're going to keep you separate from the other nations to preserve the line of Messiah. Messiah. And so then David and then the prophets come along and the people of Israel go astray, don't they? They start worshiping foreign gods, foreign powers, and start sacrificing their children and all of these wicked practices, and God brings them into exile just as he promised. But he he sustains a remnant and he brings a remnant back to the land, and the prophets prophesy of a new day coming, of a new covenant, where God's gonna actually change their hearts. Because up to this point, they haven't done a good job, and their kings haven't done a good job, and David's sons haven't done a good job, and grandsons and great-great-great-grandsons of leading the people to God. They've led them to idolatry. And so the prophets begin to have this understanding. And in the couple hundred years before Jesus comes, there's this great understanding. We need God himself to come and solve this mess. And so they talk about the arm of the Lord coming. The arm of the Lord coming down. They talk about um, how God Himself, Emmanuel, God with us, that's the great messianic hope. God with us, when God's going to come back down. But they still had a pretty narrow vision of the whole thing, and it involved um, Israel being as a superpower uh, sort of status in the world. And yeah, sure, other people, Gentiles, are going to be, you know, kind of embraced. But they missed, in Jesus' time, they were looking for what? A conquering physical king. And Jesus came and says, what? My kingdom, it's among you. It's in your midst. The kingdom of God has come upon you. But it looks different. It can be like a mustard seed, and it grows. It's going to, um, it's come upon you, and yet it won't come in fullness until He comes again. There's all this that we didn't understand that they didn't understand. So these are the covenants, the covenants. And and what Paul's saying is you were excluded from all that. You were on the outside. Why? Because you weren't part of Israel. In fact, there's this really interesting story in uh, the Old Testament. There's this guy named Naaman. He's a Gentile military leader, and he has leprosy. He's a a hotshot guy. He comes to the prophet Elisha, and he says, heal me, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He's like, oh yeah, okay, just go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and Naaman's like, no way, man, I'm too good for that. And he's and the little like servant servants like, come on, if he asked you like to storm the mountain, you would have done it. Go just do what he says, and so he's like, all right. So he humbles himself, he bays, and he's healed, and he comes to the recognition of, wow, this God is real. This God of of Elisha, and so he does this really interesting thing before he goes home. He says, uh, allow me to take a chunk of land. I want to carve out some dirt and bring it home with me. Why is that? Because they had an understanding that this land was the land of God, of Yahweh, the one true God. So he wants to take one little chunk of it back so he can come back and kneel on that one little chunk and worship God. This is cosmic geography. And so Paul says, you were separated. You were separated. Not that Gentiles weren't invited in. No, Naaman, he was, he was invited in. I'm convinced we're going to see him in heaven as well as a bunch of others. But, but these nations all went after these other gods, these other spiritual powers. That's why we're going to see later powers and principalities and the very language has territory in mind. And, and here's like the cool thing is at in Acts 2, we talked about this a while back, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and all these people hear, hear them worshiping God in, in different languages and then take the news of Jesus back to the nations, they're from those nations in Genesis 11 that were dispersed. It's all those spots. And the, the big idea here, when Jesus comes is he's going after the nations, he's taking them on. This isn't a localized thing anymore he's going to the ends of the earth and everybody is invited in that was an appropriate amen yes it's good news it's good news that's why it's good news see and he says so so you were excluded but now in christ in christ you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of christ when Jesus died, he defeated the powers of the enemy. You were, you were far away, but he's coming after you. You know, we are literally, when he said, go to Jerusalem, Jesus, before he ascended, told his disciples, you're going to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's us. Like, you can't get much further away from the ends of the earth than, than where we are here today. From, from the place that Jesus said that. Now, there's still around the ends of the earth, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 individual language people, groups that do not have a, a strong representation of Jesus Christ, and it's our mission to take the gospel to those nations. And there's wonderful organizations and people who, that's what God's called them to do, and we're called to be part of that. But that's the mission. That's the big picture. That's why this is such a big deal. The covenants, you were separated, but now in Christ Jesus, you were far away. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ Jesus. For, he goes on in 14, for he himself is our peace. Peace. You know, um, Paul says in Romans that, that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That it's not about, you know, you, were, you can trace your genealogy back to Abraham. It, it's about the fact that you trusted in Jesus, and now you have peace with God. You have relationship with God. He is our peace. Shalom. He's made things right. This is the big concept in, in Hebrew. When you see peace, it's, 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 it's a state where things are right. It's not just an absence of conflict. It was broken, and now it's made whole. It's wholeness. He is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself um, one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. What's going on here? He says he made two groups one. And what two groups is he talking about? Jews and Gentiles. He's brought you together. He's made you one. And he's just taken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, here's what you have to realize. Um, so. So... The prophet spoke about this new covenant, this time when there would be a new arrangement, not like the covenant at Sinai, but a new thing where God would write the law on their hearts, where, where he would wipe their sins away. Jesus comes, and literally at the Passover, the, the most holy, um, one of the most holy celebrations of, of the Jewish faith that they've been celebrating for 15 years, Jesus takes the bread and the cup, and he says, this has all been about me the whole time. It's all been pointing toward me. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets to wipe it away. I came to fulfill them. In other words, um, we're told in the scriptures that that the law and the ceremonial laws and all of this, it was signposts pointing forward to Jesus, pointing to a deeper reality. Um, Types and shadows is is language that Paul uses. There was a deeper reality true in Christ than, than this reality, and it was pointing towards this reality. That's deep, isn't it? Some of you are like glazing over, like, what? Okay, wait. See, see the heart behind what Paul says? When you're seated in the heavenly realms, here's the idea. You are in Christ. There's something more true about you than the fact that you're sitting right here right now. You know, you know um, when Elisha and the servant, um, and the servant's freaking out, um, this is in the Old Testament because the army is attacking, and Elisha prays for him and says, Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes are opened, and he sees all the armies of God vastly outnumbering um, the, the armies that had come against them to capture them. All of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and what did he perceive? The deeper reality that's actually true, that he couldn't perceive before. And that's the heart behind a lot of this, that there's something deeper going on. There's something more true, something more real that these things physically were pointing towards, which is why he said circumcision, not a big deal anymore. The law, that there's ceremonial laws, that there's, um, that there's sacrificial laws, and that's been set aside in Christ, in his body. He was the ultimate sacrifice. In fact, right after the resurrection, when Jesus is walking with the disciples, he tells them, hey, he takes them for a walk, and he unveils the scriptures to them. I would love to be part of that conversation. And just let uh, fly on the wall listening. And he tells, shows them how it all pointed towards him, how it was all about him. And so the way, as you read through the New Testament, the way that the writers like Paul and some of these inspired by the Holy Spirit understand this is is he, Jesus, was the fulfillment of this, and we are in a new era, a new covenant age, that God is doing something new, and part of that is he's brought these two separate things together into one, and so there was literally in the, in the temple, there was a dividing wall, literally a wall. You can read about this in Josephus, a historian. And it said, no Gentile shall enter here. If you did, it was at penalty of your own death. That was literally the hostility and the dividing wall. At this point in the church, um, Jews, the way the law was, was designed at Sinai, it was to keep the people holy, which means what? Set apart, separate. And there was a very real and important purpose for that that, that God had throughout history to preserve the, the line of redemption because that was what he was doing. But it's a new day and the two have been brought together and there's no dividing wall of hostility between us. There's a deeper reality that's true in Christ than anything that divides us. That's really good news in a very divided culture. That it doesn't Your skin color before doesn't matter before Jesus. I mean, he... he he loves historical, um, you know, the, our history and our heritage, and that's beautiful part of us. But when it comes to relating to Him, we're all we all stand at an equal place at the foot of the cross. Which means there never should be even a hint of any racism within the church. In fact, G, G, Paul comes along just so you understand how big of a deal this was, he's going to tell us a little later, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, shares in the promise of Christ Jesus. He's going to, just a little bit later in this chapter, he's going to talk about the temple. And he's going to say this one body is actually the new temple that's being built up. Remember, he says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That corporately, there's this thing that his body made up of every nation imaginable, but of Jews and Gentiles together. It's his body and it's his temple, the place where his spirit dwells. And so in Galatians, he's going to tell us, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, you're in him, and have clothed yourself with Christ. That's the deepest, truest reality about you. There is neither, listen, now understand, an observant Jew, a pious Jew in the first century would pray a prayer daily that, thank God, oh God, thank God, thank you, Lord, I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Sorry, ladies. in Gentiles. This was, the, when, he, when Paul's talking, see, we read this so often, it just like goes over our head, what's the big deal? Okay, of course, using Gentiles. Of course, we're all part. Now, this was a really big deal. Especially in a day when, when, you know, the church is mostly, at the beginning, mostly Jewish believers in their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And then all of a sudden, all these Gentiles start coming in. Like, what's going on? And, P- and James, the brother of Jesus, looks at it um, in, in Acts 15. You can go read about this. And he says, actually, what's happening here is, as the Gentiles come in, this is the prophecy being fulfilled that, that like, in the later days, He's going to rebuild the fallen tents of Jacob. And the Gentiles are going to come in. And this whole thing's going to grow. And James sees this. And so they say, don't make it hard for the Gentiles to come in to the faith. They don't have to have a little surgery. They're in. Through faith in Jesus. And so Paul says, um, for all, in this culture where they would get up and pray, thank God I'm not this, this, or this. He said, Listen to how conf, how much of a uh, slap in the face this would have been to someone with this kind of thinking. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you recognize? Like, he's saying, break down those walls. Now, is he saying there's actually no Jew or Gentile or male or female? No, no. Like, what he's saying is in Christ, in this new body, we all stand on an equal platform at the foot of the cross. It's, the gospel is the great equalizer. It should break down dividing walls, it should be the deepest, truest thing about us, truer than our national identity, deeper, truer than, than how we think about certain issues or things. They are in him, and that affects all of how we think and how we live in life and how we live our life. In fact, we're going to see that as he goes on in Ephesians. So he says the two groups are one. There's, there's, there's something, he says here, in, in a new humanity, Greek, literally, one new man. The idea is a new humanity. We're all included in this. There's a new reality that he took took these groups that were separate and he brought them together in him. That's the key. It's in him. It's in him. That's why he'll say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's a new reality that's true about you. You're included. There's no dividing walls. Now, for some of you that are maybe theology nerds or buffs, you're going, well, how does this all work out? Because you have like, you know, we have scholars, we have a saying around here, smarter people than us have been arguing about things for thousands of years. And so you have the Reformed traditions of Calvin and Luther that that saw these kinds of scriptures in a very clear way. And um, and then you have other more recent traditions um, uh, streams of thought that see these kinds of ideas about Israel and the church in different ways, and so as you go to Scripture and as I go to Scripture and look at, like read through the whole test, the New Testament, like this is Paul is is very clear here. How does that work itself out? Well, I have a really, I have an illustration for you to to hopefully help you understand this. I'm going to throw a map up here. This map is in um, our local town. Hopefully, we have a map. Okay, there we go. Here's a map. Now. Anybody recognize those rivers? You live in a town called Grand what? Junction. Some people think it should be called River City, which might have been a more attractive name. But it is what it is. We're called Grand Junction, right? Why is that? Because you have a river that used to be called the Grand River, now it's called the Colorado River, and another river called what? La River. And they do what? Junction. They come together, right? And so here's where we live. Now, here's an interesting thing. So you've got the Colorado River, and then once the Gunnison River hits the Colorado River, what is it called? The Colorado River, okay? And so now, off here, you see this one little spot here? All the way down under Orchard Mesa, you see a little lake. That's where something splits off. That's called the Redlands Power Canal. Anybody know? You've been riding, do you like connected lakes? That's the Redlands Power Canal that's actually a split off of the Gunnison River. And it comes along and it tools all the way up here and then at the bridge right down the road here, it comes back in. And right after that, the uh, Gunnison comes into the confluence of the Colorado, okay? So everybody got that in their minds? I like this because I used to like, that's my old stomping grounds. Grew up riding my bikes down by Connected Lakes when you could still do that alone as a kid, like on swings, jumping into the water and all that. before we were so scared about our kids. But that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Uh, So here, here, let me just illustrate this. We're going to change the names up, and I want to try to illustrate. Paul really talks about, if you want to read about this, read through Galatians. I skimmed the whole book yesterday, just to refresh it in my mind, and read through Romans 9 through 11. Because Paul wrestles with this whole reality of what he's written here in Ephesians of the one new humanity. And he says, "What does that mean God rejected Israel? And he says, no, no. God's faithful. Why? Because of the patriarchs, because of the history, the root that goes all the way back, what he promised to Abraham, what he promised to David. He's faithful to all of that. But here's a basic way that you can understand this. So you have, we'll just call the in Israel here. Okay? Now, at this point in history, Jesus comes into the picture. And here's what all the prophets say. Jesus is what? The fulfillment. It's types and shadows. It's pointing to Jesus in the heart behind understanding Jesus is he accomplished what um, Adam couldn't. He's he's the second Adam, the true Adam. He accomplished. I told you this was going to be a seminary class. Hang with me. Hang with me. He accomplished what the kings of Israel couldn't. He was the true leader, the servant king. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he was the suffering servant. He gave his life for us. He um, chooses 12 disciples. What's that all about? Mm, 12 tribes. He, um, he says, I am the vine. What was the vine? The national symbol of Israel going back. And essentially what Jesus does is he comes and says, this was all flowing towards me, and I am where this all goes through. I am the true Israelite. I am the true Jewish person, and true faith is found in me. This has precedent because God says through the seed of humanity, through Abraham, through the Davidic covenant, this is where the redemptive purposes of God are going. Now he says, I am the one who brings in the new covenant. We have that at the Last Supper, right? Where he says this whole whole Passover, it's been about me. This, this blood, it's in my, this is a covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And he institutes that. Now, from this point on, if you go read Romans 11, you have a, a split where you have, actually these two sizes should be different. The power canal and the, uh, in Israel, they should be about the opposite size. Because you have a small portion of, of people that follow Jesus. That's the whole early church. They follow Jesus. He says, I'm your Messiah, but a lot of people miss it, and they split off. And in, in Romans, we see this as unbelieving Israel, that they're, they're people of God. You trace them back to the promises, to the covenants, and God's faithful. You know what a miracle it's been that God sustained the, the ethnic line of Israel for this last 2,000 years? It is amazing. It should have never happened. They should have been absorbed into history. God sustains them. He's faithful like he promised. And now you have um, this confluence where in the new covenant, Israel and the Gentiles come together and the Gentiles are the bigger river, but they keep the name of the smaller one. So Paul calls them spiritual Israel. Or in this phrase, he calls it a new humanity in Christ. And these are the two streams that come together. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I see in Romans 11 as I read it. There's a beautiful promise. He says... He, he, he paints the picture of a tree and a, a tree where natural branches talking about those in, in Israel who were unbelieving, who didn't trust the Messiah, were broken off. And then wild branches talking about Gentiles will be grafted in. But he paints this picture in, in Romans 11 that toward the end of God's redemptive history, unbelieving Israel will come back in will find Jesus. And here's, here's what a lot of scholars believe as they read through Romans chapter 11, that at, at the uh, end times, and there's different scenarios that scholars argue about of how it all exactly works out, but that a mass of people in the nation of Israel come back to Jesus. And, and you know what? As you look at the, the circumstances around 1948 and Israel being brought back into the land, it is nothing short of miraculous. And as you look at it, in the last hundred years, more people from Jewish heritage have come to faith in Jesus than ever before. Than ever before. That makes me think, we're getting close. We're getting close. So, maybe that makes it clear. Maybe it makes it as clear as mud. I don't know. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. We can dialogue on it. But I'm, let's finish it up here. Verse 17, it says this. He came... And he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. You have access, you have relationship. We see that through the spirit, we can cry out, Abba, father, literally this this personal dad. You've been brought into a close relationship. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. As we close, Winston's going to come up and play for just a minute. And let me just say there's this this deep thought in here. There's this thing that he's saying is true. The you who were far off. See, in the midst of all the theology, if we just read through this, we're like, okay, yeah, so what? I know that. No big deal. No, it was a big deal. And there's lots of theology around this, and it's deep. But in the midst of all this, don't miss the personal application. That had not Jesus come, you probably would have never heard the name, or you would have heard the name of the one true God, but that would have just been, you know, the God of this little people group somewhere in the Middle East. But Jesus came and said, you're invited in. I want relationship with you. I want you in my family. I want to have peace. Shalom. I want to bring peace to your life. You see, Peace, shalom, is the birthright of a follower of Jesus, of a member of his family. A peace that's not because of circumstances, but in spite of circumstances. Realize that's one of Jesus' last things. We saw that in John, where he said, My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, not like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and afraid. See, peace isn't just this absence of conflict. Peace is that you can walk through whatever circumstance you're in. And that's because Jesus came and he's coming again. That's because there's a deeper, truer reality that you're seated in heavenly realms if you're a follower of him. That no matter how hard this life gets, and Paul's going to remind us, he's in prison writing this. He's in chains. Not that life will be easy. Jesus said, I I told you these things that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That's just the state of life. There will be trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In the midst of that, you can have peace. He is God. He is in control. You are his. You know the great thing about a great family I hope, I know we have a lot of great families in this church. And some of you, I know you didn't experience that, and that's a point of pain in your life. But you know the great thing about a great family is you may be in trouble, but you always belong, right? You you may blow it sometimes, but you're always welcome home. You always know you have a place, you belong, and that assuredness creates a peace in your heart. that you can go forward. And so as we stand, why don't you stand? Here's my challenge to you. This week, there's not really a huge, like, takeaway, go do this, that's clear in the scripture. Number one, I think one of the reasons why forgiveness and unity is such a big deal to Jesus is because he came to bring Peace. Because there's nothing that should divide us in him. So maybe there's someone this week you need to make a relationship right with. Number two, some of you, you just are struggling right now and you have no peace in your heart. That is your birthright as a child of his. He says, present your prayers and requests to him and the peace of God that, that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And so as we pray, I'm gonna invite you just to, to give that to him. Maybe that thing you're carrying right now that's keeping you from peace. And then the third thing is for some of you, you don't have peace with God because you have not entered into relationship with him through faith. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so as we bow our heads and close our eyes, first, if that's you in the room and you feel God drawing you, I'm going to invite you to respond. You can pray a simple prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the Son of God, that you died and you rose again for me. I accept that free gift of life and forgiveness. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to live my life for you in every area. Thank you, Lord for making me part of your family. And Lord, for uh, that person or those people in the room that uh, that maybe have a relationship they need to make right, would you give them the courage to do that? And for those right now, and that's you in the room, those that you're carrying something and it's killing your peace, just as a sign of trust in him, why don't you just give that to him? Say, Lord, I'm I'm giving this to you. Would you carry this? And Holy Spirit, would you do that thing that only you can do in hearts and lives? That you would come into our midst. You are here. And you would take those things and you would bring peace, the peace that surpasses understanding. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.